Hello, and welcome to Morning Prayer at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Edison, New Jersey. I thank God that we are able to be together and start our day in prayer. This is Friday. We're in the fifth week of the Easter season. Easter is not just one day, but a season made up of a week of weeks. This week, we continue our reading of the Acts of the Apostles. Today, we continue the story of the Apostle Paul's last visit to Jerusalem. Please feel free to send me an email with any stories or insights or questions uh, that uh, might have arisen uh, as we've gone through our journey in prayer together. You can send them to me at pastorjim2006 at icloud.com. And now we begin our prayer in silence. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, O God, that we may rejoice and be glad all the days of our life. Praise to the blessed and holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God who gives life, salvation, and resurrection. Alleluia. The Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. O come, let us worship and praise. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before God's presence with thanksgiving and raise a loud shout to the Lord with psalms. For you, Lord, are a great God and a great ruler above all gods. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. In your hand are the caverns of the earth, the heights of the hills are yours also. The sea is yours, for you made it, and your hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For the Lord is our God, and we are the people of God's pasture and the sheep of God's hand. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. You have been born anew through the abiding word of God. A reading from Acts chapter 23. Paul looked at the Sanhedrin. Brothers, he said, I have conducted myself before God in a completely good conscience all my life up to this day. Ananias, the high priest, ordered the bystanders to strike Paul on the mouth. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, said Paul to Ananias. You are sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet you order me to be struck in violation of the law? You are insulting the high priest, asked the bystanders. My brothers, replied Paul, I didn't know that he was the high priest. Scripture says, of course, you mustn't speak evil of the ruler of your people. Paul knew that one part of the gathering were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees. My brothers, he shouted to the Sanhedrin, I am a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees. This trial is about the hope about the resurrection of the dead. At these words, an argument broke out between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were split among themselves. The Sadducees deny that there is any resurrection or any intermediate state of angel or spirit, But the Pharisees affirmed them both. There was quite an uproar, with some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party standing up and arguing angrily, We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit spoke to him, or an angel for that matter? Faced with another riot, the tribune was worried that Paul was going to be pulled into pieces between them. 
He ordered the guard to go down and snatch him out of the midst of them and bring him back up into the barracks. On the next night, the Lord stood by him. Cheer up, he said. You have given your testimony about me in Jerusalem. Now you have to do it in Rome. The next morning, the Jews made a plot together. They swore an oath, binding themselves not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than forty of them who made the solemn vow with one another. They went to the high priest and the elders. We have sworn a solemn and binding oath, they said, not to taste anything until we have killed Paul. What you need to do is this. Tell the tribune with the Sanhedrin to bring him down to you, as if you wanted to make a more careful examination of his case, and then, before he arrives, we'll be ready to dispatch him. Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of the plot. He went off, entered the barracks, and told Paul about it. Paul called one of the centurions. Take this young man to the tribune, he said. He's got something to tell him. So he took off, and he brought him to the tribune. Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, he said. Apparently, he's got something to tell you. So the tribune took the young man by the hand and led him off into a private room. What is this that you have to tell me, he asked. The Judeans have are agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow, he said. It will look as if they're wanting to make a more thorough investigation about him. But don't do what they want. There are more than 40 men who are setting an ambush for him, and they've sworn a solemn oath not to eat or drink until they've killed him. They are already, right now, waiting for the word from you. So the tribune dismissed the lad. Don't tell anyone at all what you've told me about this, he said. So the tribune summoned two of his centurions. Get ready a squad of 200, he said. They're going to Caesarea. Also take 70 horsemen and 200 light-armed guards. They leave at 9 o'clock tonight. Get horses ready for Paul to ride and take him safely to Felix the governor. He wrote a letter which went like this. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews who were going to kill him. When I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I went with the guard and rescued him. I wanted to know the charge on which they were accusing him, so I took him into the Sanhedrin. There I discovered that he was being accused in relation to disputes about their law, but that he was not <clears throat> being charged <coughs> with anything for which he would deserve to die or be imprisoned. I then received information that there was going to be a plot against him, so I am sending him to you at once. I have told his accusers so that they may inform you of the charges against him. So the soldiers did what they were told. They took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And the next day, they allowed the horsemen to go on with him while they returned to the barracks. The company arrived at Caesarea and handed over the letter to the governor, presenting Paul at the same time. Felix read the letter and asked which jurisdiction Paul was from. He found out that he was from Cilicia. I will hear your case, he said, when your accusers arrive. He ordered that he be kept under guard in Herod's praetorium. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Something very subtle but significant has happened. I wonder if you've noticed it. When the riot broke out in the temple, the mob dragged Paul out of the inner court of the temple and into the outer court, that is, the court of the Gentiles. The door to the temple was closed behind him. 
He would never enter the temple again. He addresses the crowd a fellow, as a fellow Jew raised in Jerusalem and as a student of a prominent rabbi. And then he identifies himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees. And at his hearing before the council, at his hearing before the council, where he is dishonored, struck without cause by his own high priest when he says that his conscience is clear and that what he believes about Jesus and has taught concerning him is actually what he believes to be the fulfillment of God's promise to God's people. When the Supreme Council breaks down into another fight between parties, between the Sadducees and Pharisees, Paul is again whisked away under the protection of Roman soldiers. When they are ready to put him to the most cruel of lashings, he had revealed, in fact, that he was a Roman citizen by birth. Remember, he was endowed with rights under the protection and power of Rome until he might be found guilty of a Roman crime. After all that, Paul then now sits in a Roman fortress under his own protection. And here's the subtle change that has happened throughout these last couple of days. Paul is now without home in this world a man without a country, except, of course, in Christ and among the other followers of the way. He can no longer move among his own people. He can never return to the temple. And even though he has come a long way from his younger years as a zealous, observant uh, member uh, of, of the Pharisees, we can be sure that there is a deep, deep grief. He has, of course, invoked his Roman citizenship, And even though he is a Roman citizen and afforded the benefits and protection of any other Roman citizen, he also can never fully participate in Roman society. In fact, his very mission subverts the whole structure of imperial and pagan culture. He, Paul, has now cast his lot in with Jesus, and not with any of the powers of this world. And so it is that the Lord comes and stands beside him, and tells him that he is sending Paul to tell the story of Jesus, to bear witness to the Messiah in Rome itself. The high priest has his own agenda. The men who have committed themselves to killing Paul before they eat and drink again have taken their vow. The tribune and the governor have their own way of looking at things, but none of these matter much compared to the Lord's plan to bring Paul and the gospel of Christ to Rome. Paul serves Jesus. Jesus has entrusted to him a mission, and Paul will do what he can to fulfill that mission, even as the Lord opens up surprising doors for it to see its realization. And that's the real story and revelation of Acts all along. The Holy Spirit is the one moving this story forward. The word of the Lord is being scattered throughout the empire, and it is secretly and silently growing. I think Jesus even said something about the kingdom of God working like that. Amen. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. Blessed are you, Lord, the God of Israel. You have come to your people and set them free. You have raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of your servant David. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. Through your holy prophets, you promised of old to save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. 
to show mercy to our forebears and to remember your holy covenant. This was the oath you swore to our father Abraham, to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship you without fear, holy and righteous before you all the days of our life. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way, to give God's people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us, to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Mighty God of mercy, we thank you for the resurrection dawn, bringing the glory of our risen Lord who makes every day new. Especially we thank you for the sustaining goodness of your creation, for the new creation in Christ and all gifts of healing and forgiveness, for the gift of relationship with others, and for the communion of faith in your church. For what else are we thankful? Merciful God of might, renew this weary world, heal the hurts of all of your children, and bring about your peace for all in Christ Jesus the living Lord. Especially we pray for those who are sick, for those who are mourning, for those who are struggling or feeling lonely and isolated, for those who are caring. We pray for those who govern the nations of the world and for people in countries ravaged by strife, warfare, or disease. For all who work for peace and international harmony. For all who strive to save the earth from carelessness and destruction. And for the Church of Jesus Christ in every land. For what else or for who else are we praying today? Almighty and everlasting God, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome in adversity. In all we do, direct us to fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. Go forth into the world to serve God with gladness. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honor all people. Love and serve God, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.